Welcome to CPAC's Today in Politics. It's Tuesday, April 25th. I'm Julie Van Dusen. Here are the big political stories we're talking about today. The government moves to give air passengers more power. This means there will be no more loopholes where airlines can claim a disruption is caused by something outside of their control. But critics aren't convinced it will work. The Liberals have chosen to double down on an approach that's complex, bureaucratic and expensive. And as a result, we're not confident that it's going to be a significant improvement and that we're going to see measured progress in terms of protecting air passengers. The Auditor General says no to looking into a check given to the Trudeau Foundation by Beijing-linked businessmen. And now we know there were meetings in the Prime Minister's office with his top officials and the Trudeau Foundation. Once again, are they really expecting Canadians to be dumb enough not to, to, to believe that he didn't know about that either? And the President of the Treasury Board sends an open letter to striking public workers and Canadians telling them about the government's latest offer. There is a competitive deal on the table, but the PSAC continues to insist on demands that are unaffordable and would severely impact our ability to deliver services to Canadians. Joining us is Susan Delacorte, columnist for the Toronto Star. Good morning, Susan. Good morning, Julie. Nice to be here. Nice to be here, too. We're both here. This is good. So um, yesterday, the Transport Minister, Omar Al-Gabra, uh, announced that there'd be changes to the uh, for passengers to put more onus on the passengers having the last say than the airlines when something goes wrong. And th- that sounded kind of promising, especially leading into a time that maybe some of us want to travel this summer. What did you take out of his announcement? Well, on the surface, a good move, you know, that um, it's now, you know, as he put it, the airlines have to explain why they're not compensating. It's, it's compensation by default, basically. Right. right. Um, which is good, as I don't know whether you've had this experience. I did uh, earlier this year of trying to get uh, an airline to, we, I won't name them, yes. to, uh, to compensate for uh, failed travel. It's not easy. It's uh, a lot of hoops to jump through. Definitely. And, um, yeah, I'll spare you the story of mine, which didn't end satisfactorily. But mm-hmm. so uh, I, of course, my ears perked up at this announcement. That's good. However, I was watching earlier um, some of the committee testimony um, on on the airline problems and the, the snags that, um, in traveling. And what became very clear during those hearings is it isn't just the airlines Mm -hmm. that this is a big complicated web Mm -hmm. um, that the airports themselves uh, are often responsible. And I'm, I'm not sure that, that they've dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's in, in figuring out how to compensate people when things go wrong. So I, they say that the loopholes are closed, but I think what we're hearing from, critics and and skeptics is I'm not sure it was that simple. If it was that simple, they would have done it a long time ago. I, I, I remain convinced that this is going to be a tough thing to, to pull off. Right. I think the airlines were saying yesterday, a couple of things. The suggestion was if if we have all even more kind of uh, hurdles to, to sort out in this crazy travel environment, it could, you know, land on your ticket price, but also that, you know, it's an infrastructure thing sometimes, right? I mean, we're, we're trying to take off, but there's a problem with 
landing six planes, uh, that, you know, whatever. I mean, it's, it's, it's got a lot to do with the infrastructure sometimes. So that could yep. be complicated. Yeah. A, a lot of times, um, for example, those those horrifying cases you hear of where people are trapped for hours and hours on a plane, yes. it's not the airline's fault. It's right. because the airport right. can't get at them. Right. Um, we're also living in a time of climate change where yes. uh, unpredictable weather. I think the airlines have been saying you don't want to increase the pressure on airlines to to fly when it's unsafe. And exactly. this uh, so I I you know, it's not going to be simple. But I did hear the Bloc uh, Quebecois giving limited praise to the minister for yesterday for at least listening and and going some way toward um, addressing what the, you know, the, the committee and various MPs have been investigating. I, d I, I guess we'll just say this is a work in progress. Right. I, I'm, I'm still not going to feel great about traveling by plane this summer. I wouldn't. No, no. I mean, the thing is, there are going to be exemptions and we don't know exactly what they are, but the idea is probably a snowstorm that you have no control over, which can happen today in this country. Yep. Right? We're yep. in April and there's a lot. We have snow. We have snow all the time. So uh, but the, but the thing is, you couldn't just always kind of uh, you know point to the weather as, as you're. I guess the onus will be more on them to prove why they don't want to compensate you. Make sure you're fed if you're stuck there uh, and uh, that you have water and, and all that stuff. So, they'll, the, the, you know, maybe it'll be a more pleasant experience in the airports. Maybe. Let's hope so. Let's hope so. It wouldn't have to, there wouldn't have to be much improvement for it but to be more pleasant. I don't know. You've, you've flown yourself recently, but I, I find it, it is not the pleasant experience it used to be for sure. No. And you bring your granola bars and, and I always bring an empty water bottle, but, but when you go through security, you know how they take your water bottle away. I bring an that, empty one that I fill on the other side. That is very clever. I tell you. And, and, uh, and, you know, let's face it, no matter when you fly, the whole idea is I haven't figured this one out yet, but just bring a couple of black pairs of black pants and your toothbrush and a knapsack, like <laughs> seriously. <laughs> And no one knows you where you're going. So it doesn't matter, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. 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 It's, all, it's, all, it's all good. So, okay, the final point I, I guess we'd make on this is this isn't, a, this isn't passed. This isn't probably whatever, whatever new measures we're hoping for. We probably won't see this summer, right? I mean. No, no. I think, uh, you know, time, it's hard to believe, but time is actually running out before summer. Um. Although it's going to be just, it's going to be a marathon the next couple of months, but it it is time is running out. Yes, for sure. Right, and this is all wrapped in the budget implementation bill. But anyway, it's stuff to look uh, towards. Now let's talk about the Chinese interference, which is uh, still bubbling away. A couple of developments yesterday. One that Auditor General Karen Hogan uh, said she would not look into the donations that the Trudeau Foundation had wanted her to. Uh, kind of saying it's not in my purview. Uh, yeah. Is that a is that a big development or not unexpected? I think it was a bit of a stretch for the foundation to ask the auditor general to do that. I think there are other ways. I believe I read that that the Canadian uh, Canada Revenue CRA can do those kind of investigations. And um, yeah, I'm just not sure that it was ever going to be possible for the Auditor General to do that, nor should she have done it, probably. Right. So that kind of uh, 
like I say, things are bubbling away here. And what we learned yesterday through La Presse was there was a, a meeting of the Trudeau Foundation uh, in 2016 in the Langevin building, which is which houses the prime minister's office with the Trudeau Foundation and some deputy ministers. And the opposition is using that meeting, which the La Presse found out through access to information, to say Trudeau's uh, assertion that he has nothing to do with the foundation is a, a big stretch, like no one can buy it. What do you make of that? Well, um, the prime minister's office is a big place, and I don't think that they did um, get an audience with the prime minister, uh, to be fair. I I think, uh, you know, we've discussed this before, Julie, in this this context. I, I don't know how the foundation, it just seems the more you look at this story, the worse it gets. I still think that the prime minister should be taken at his word that mm -hmm. uh, he does not have anything to do with the foundation. I noticed yesterday as well, uh, there was a meeting, I read this in the post, um, that uh, that there will be more, uh, a sort of a mini investigation by a committee into the Trudeau Foundation, but they have exempted Sasha Trudeau, Alexander Trudeau, right. from, uh, from appearing, which I find interesting. Uh -huh. That I guess happened with the NDP support. So <clears throat> you're right, this keeps bubbling away. I don't know, and I, I, I've kind of believe that it, there isn't a big link between the Trudeau Foundation and the Prime Minister, this current Prime Minister. But um, they have not found a way to make this issue go away. And I fear that the Foundation itself is going to have to, to face something bigger than just um, an audit. I think there's probably some sort of root and branch uh, overhaul that's going to have to happen to that foundation because mm -hmm. it, it has definitely been damaged in all of this. Damaged, yeah. And I, the committee you're talking about is the Public Accounts Committee right. that has yes. decided to do, like you say, I think two sessions into the Trudeau Foundation. Not, not, And I think they had the support of the Conservatives, which was quite interesting since Pierre Parliev had wanted Sasha Trudeau. Mm. Uh, to appear. So that was kind of an interesting uh, development. But I guess, Susan, this all bubbles away as we wait for David Johnson, uh, yes. the rapporteur, to uh, decide mid-May, should there be a public inquiry or so. So th that's probably the big end thing that we're going to keep our eye on. Yeah, and, and I think we, we all know that there's going to be some sort of inquiry. I, I, I don't know how he gets out of it. I think uh, probably one of the best questions was posed by Katie Telford during her testimony is what is an inquiry supposed to do? And mm -hmm. what that's yeah. um, I, I, I'm, I'm hoping Mr. Johnson has a handle on that too. But as she said, that's not a binary choice. It's not a binary choice between will there be an inquiry or will there not be? It's what is, what's the inquiry supposed to do? Is it supposed to investigate the Trudeau foundation? Is it supposed to, put people's mind at rest about the fairness of our elections. There's, there's a lot of issues at, at stake here. I would say reassuring the public about the sanctity of our democracy is probably the number one job. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, okay, let's wrap up on the fact that it's day seven of the public yes, sector yes. strike. We're a week into it. 
Uh, Mona Fortier, the Treasury Board Minister, put out an open letter to Canadians and those out on strike uh, to kind of give us an idea of some of the stumbling blocks. She had talked about the fact that there was over 570 demands made by the union and they've been whittled down to a handful. Uh, she said that if the employees accepted this 9% increase over three years, uh, it would be an extra $6,250 annually. On the other side, the union is... Uh, not budging, uh, telework, as, uh, working from home is still a big issue that the government doesn't seem to want to budge on. And there's a big massive petition that's just been launched, um, I guess, by people saying you've got to extend the deadline for income tax, which is <laughs> April 30th. And if you call, they're looking for advice. Forget it, right? Oh, my goodness. Yes. Uh, as somebody who has not yet filed myself, I'm kind of, uh, I'll sign that petition. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> this doesn't look that promising, all of this. Well, you know, on the show that you and I used to do together on CBC, uh, recklessly last Friday night, I predicted that this strike would be over in a week. And I heard you. Yes. <laughs> What's and your prediction today? <laughs> I'm still, I'm sticking by it. You are, right? Uh, yes, because uh, I... I thought things were going south on the weekend with Chris Elward calling Mona Forte incompetent, incompetent yeah. mm -hmm. and this public letter. But yesterday, again, the tone was very interesting. He was on Power and Politics, yep. Chris Elward, the head of the mm -hmm. union, with uh, our friend David Cochran. And yep. he said that he regarded the letter as a positive sign. I was surprised at that, too. Yeah. Yep. And that um, he was very... Uh, even conciliatory, I would say, on the issue of the government retaining its 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 position, its red line, as Mona Fortier called it, on mm -hmm. telework, mm -hmm. on working from home. He, it, they didn't sound that far apart when they were talking at the end of the day yesterday. So, I I remain cautiously optimistic that that this is headed for for some kind of conclusion i just, just just the tone and the fact that they are still at the bargaining table that nobody has walked away from it mm -hmm. um i'm um maybe you're more pessimistic pessimistic than i am but i i still think that progress is being made well yeah i mean i maybe his mother or his aunt mabel or somebody called him <laughs> to say i don't think that's very nice to call your no. boss or you know <laughs> the head of the government that's dealing with you incompetent so who knows? But you're right. It sounded much more conciliatory yesterday. So let's see. On that promising note, we'll see where it goes. Uh, and uh, if I, I might have to eat crow next Tuesday here as well as next Friday. Yeah, we uh, may all be eating crow. But but, yeah. but but you're right. It's it's possible because seven days is a long time. And and uh, you know you wonder you know, the next step would be back to work legislation. And that's a whole other kettle of fish. So I don't um, think anybody wants that. Right. Susan, again, thank you for your insights. And uh, thank you, Julie. I, will, I will see you very soon and have a great day. That's uh, Susan Delacorte, national columnist for the Toronto Star. Now let's take a look at what political columnists, commentators and editorialists are saying today. In the Globe and Mail, Rujan Habibi and Claire Wenham argue the world is running out of time to negotiate a global pandemic treaty. They write, 75 years ago, the world came together to address the differential challenges of achieving global health equity. In that spirit, they established the World Health Organization. 
Today, as countries negotiate a new pandemic treaty, they must channel that same historical will to collective action. With just one year left to negotiate the agreement, it's time for countries to say yes to working together with the greater aim of capacity building for developing countries and collective financing for pandemic prevention, preparedness, and response. In the Hill Times, Mary Jane Bennett argues the cleanup of dirty money has officially launched. She writes, you might have missed it, but the Liberal government announced a suite of fairly remarkable measures to tackle money laundering with its recent budget. These initiatives will enhance the detection, policing, and prosecution of money laundering. With the recent budget, the government renewed its commitment to have private companies maintain a searchable register, clearly establishing the true or beneficial owner of these shell companies. Until now, that person or entity could easily remain hidden behind corporate filings. More measures are needed to close loopholes and other legislative gaps. Canadians, however, should be aware that the cleanup of dirty money has officially launched. Now, here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. The Prime Minister will chair the Cabinet and attend question period. Then meet with the members of the Artemis II crew. The Prime Minister and the members of the crew will meet with industry experts and youth participants who will showcase their projects with respect to space exploration. Later, the Prime Minister will participate in an industry panel discussion with the members of the Artemis II crew, moderated by the President of the Canadian Space Agency. Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland will attend the Cabinet meeting and question period. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh will speak with the media before meeting with the Metro Vancouver board. He will also take part in question period. And Governor General Mary Simon will make an official visit to the Northwest Territories. That's CPAC Today in Politics for Tuesday, April 25th. Tune in to Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. I'm Julie Van Dusen. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.